How are you this morning? Good. Yeah, fantastic, <laughs> lovely. Uh, uh, as TK said, my name's Joel, uh, and I am here to, to continue our sermon series, our new sermon series on the book of Joshua. How exciting is that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Adam kicked off this series last week. Didn't he do a fantastic job looking at Joshua chapter one and entering the series? Um, it's annoying, really, how good Adam is at this, uh, and, and when you have to follow him, he's... He's very academic. He's got maps. and all that. I have no maps for you today. Re- you know, I like to bring chocolate to my sermons. And, uh, and Adam, Adam brings maps and academia. And he, he's so casual and cool at the same time. He's, he's probably the closest thing we have to Indiana Jones in this church. Um, I wouldn't say that, uh, but people have said that. Uh, so, so he did a fantastic job uh, looking at um, the sermon series of Joshua, kicking it off and, and saying why we're looking at it. So, so the, the byline, the slogan for, for this series is taking and holding ground. And the, the story of the Israelites and Joshua is, is, is they have been freed from Egypt where they were slaves. They have been wandering around the desert waiting to possess this promise. This promise is looming over them that God said that they would be given their own land. And by the time that Joshua arrives, Moses has died, Joshua is stepping in to the feet of leadership. There is this real sense of momentum. There is this sense that that, that the wandering is coming to an end. It is a time for action. They're going to move in and take new ground. They're going to move in and take possession of the promise that God has for them. Um, very exciting, very exciting. And so why we're looking at it as a church is because we feel thematically, although it's a new book, a new character, that's where we are now. I'm so glad that Claire, earlier on, talked about a shift in the church. Because that was the word that I used in my preparation. It felt like last year we took a shift as a church, that we took new ground, that we took a possession of something. We looked at a sermon series on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we come to church and, and, you know, we hear the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to gloss over these things that if you've been at church for a while, you think, well, yeah, yeah, I, I know what it is. But unless you really dig in and explore it, you don't get the power of it. Sounds like I can get a bit of reverb there. Yeah, we good? Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. And so, and, but we did that last year. We dug in and we felt power. People were healed. Life situations were miraculously changed for the better. We felt as a church, we took a shift. We got a shift in power. And we continued that with other sermon series. And now we, we don't want to regress. We don't want to fall into to a comforting or a comfortable mode of just, okay, what's the next sermon series? What's the next thing? Because we need to teach on something. We want to build. We want to move. We want to be on a journey. And so how do you hold that ground? How do you hold new ground and take new ground? It's the story of Joshua, but it is our story now. So that's why we're looking at it. And so last week, Adam talked about, about just that, that, the first chapter, where Joshua is renewing the promises to the Israelites. He's saying, he's saying don't forget them. Remember them. Let's have a renewed faith. We're going to move into action. And then chapter two starts and we get action. And we're going to read chapter two. It is a big old chunk. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm not going to read any of it. Amy's going to come up and read the first half of it. Um, let's give Amy an applause. Let's give Amy a Yeah, come on up. Come on up. She's fantastic. Amy's like the secret weapon of, of the shit. We didn't have slides this morning. They're like, get Amy. Get Amy. So uh, Amy, take it away. Take it away. Joshua chapter two, if you want to read along. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was, was told, 
Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road. You're doing a better job than I would have done. First seven. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that led to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show your kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, who all belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for you, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Round of applause for Amy. That's not two or three verses, that's 14 verses. And she did it smoothly, didn't she? So uh, wonderfully. Thank you so much, Amy. So a bit of context, uh, if you're playing catch up with this one. When we talk about the promised land for the Israelites, although you might think sandals and caftans and that sort of stuff, this is not like vacant plotting. This is, oh, oh the world wasn't as overpopulated. They, they must just be thinking about a long journey they need to get to bear land. No, there is a land, there is a geographical space that the Lord has promised them, but people are in it. At this point, the Canaanites are in it. And so when, when Joshua is rallying momentum for this chapter, when Joshua is rallying momentum for the Israelites to start moving, what this is, is he's saying people are in the land. That there is action needed. We need to go and drive the people out. We need to go and conquer this land. And it, 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 like the first chapter, if you remember last week, there's talks of armies, there's talks of, you know, like the men getting ready to, to fight and go to battle. This is action needed to get their promised land. And so we arrive at chapter 2 and the first verse jumps straight in to the action. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Next sentence. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Does feel like you're missing a sentence between those two, (laughs) doesn't it? You end off the first chapter rallying for support. This is, I mean, this is a military operation, guys. These are spies. Again, let's not get lost in, you know, TV and film depictions. This is a big deal. He is sending spies to scout out a land. Go and find out the weak points. Go and see how many men they have. Go and see the, the changing of the guard, the weak points of the fortress walls. And they end up in the house of a prostitute and stay there. It is not quite how it looks, just to clear this up. <laughs> Commentaries in history will tell you that Rahab's house is very likely a tavern or a bar. So it's very common that travellers to the city would probably end up there. She will be working from the house, very likely, 
but it's not, it's not likely that these spies are there to use a service. They are there for the hospitality and the communal space, and they end up there, and we know why they stay inside, because straight away in verse 3, it talks about the king of Jericho finding out very quickly that spies are in the land, and they have to hide there. So, so that's kind of the chapter, though. Because although the first verse feels like, oh, you've got to read that right to get the context, actually, let's not read this through rose-tinted glasses, because it is easy to think, well, the Israelites are the protagonists. They're God's people. They can't do wrong. They're against the Canaanites. And we know that they're going to drive the Canaanites out. So, so whatever they're doing, they're doing right. This is a monumental failure for the Israelites. Joshua sent out spies to go and, and, and get information, get intel for battle. And we know that they end up pretty quickly failing at that. The, the, later on, we, don't, we didn't get to it in the verses because the chapter's quite long. But it talks about how how Rahab lowers these spies out of a basket, in a basket, out of her window, which is part of the, the city wall. So they didn't even get that far into the city upon arriving before they get caught and they're stuck inside. And then they leave through a wall. So they have failed for Israel here. This is a monumental failure. This is a military failure. And it's the first action that Israel is taking to, to take possession of their promised land. And yet, when you read this chapter, it doesn't feel like a failure, does it? You read it, and, and the, the sentiment of the, of the text is that this is a success. And it is. Because, because you, you read the last verse, again, we didn't get to it, but the last verse, verse 24 of chapter 2, pops up, and it talks about when the spies go back. It said, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands, all the people are melting in fear because of us. Now just imagine being an Israelite waiting for that spy to return, or waiting for those spies to return, and they have nothing. How many are there? How mobilized are they? How big is the city? We don't know. We spent most of the time hiding in a prostitute's house. She lowered us out of a basket, and we ran back home. They failed, and yet they come back with this renewed sense of certainty that God is going to give them their promised land. Why? Because they realise the people are melting in fear because of us. Where have they got that? From that exchange with Rahab. If you go and, and look at verse 8, she says, Before the spies lay down for night, Rahab went to the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. It's a direct quote from Rahab. In their failure, in the Israelites' failure, they found a success. And that success is realizing that it is not down to whether they achieve what they set out to do or not. God is on their side. God is on their side. We hear this verse quoted around in church quite often. It, it was said here last week by Dave when he talked about men's vulnerability and how 2 Corinthians verse 12, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. This is a perfect picture of that. The Israelites realize that they are weak, they have failed, they have proved weak. If anything, Jericho has kind of been proven stronger because they found out the spies were in town very, very quickly. So in terms of military intelligence, you've got one outweighing the other here. And yet they come back and they say, we're strong, you know why? Because, because God's got us. God has got us. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And their enemies realize that more than they do. And that is their success in this chapter. 
It is not a tangible, actionable success on their side. It's a success of the heart. It's a success. It's a realization of who they have on their side. Now, I'm not discounting wisdom here, okay? It was good that Joshua sent out spies. This isn't an excuse to sit down on our backs. Yeah, whatever, we can do what we want. God is on our side. If he didn't send those spies, this wouldn't have happened and they wouldn't have come back with renewed faith. We want to be participants. We want to be active participants in God's plan. He wants us to act, but he only wants us to act and recognize our own strength as much as we recognize it's his strengths that will trump it. And so when we are talking about taking new ground and holding new ground individually in our lives, but as a church, the lesson we can take straight away from the first verse is that it needs to start from a place of humility. We need to recognize that it is good to act. It is good to be, to be proactive, but it is not on us. And our success won't be defined by whether our plans work out or not. They'll be defined by the fact that God is great and big and he is on our side. We need to be humble about it when we take the first steps of action to holding and taking ground. I can't tell you how much I struggle with this. I do, but I would probably say as well, out of everything, out of all the confessions that I'll say up front, this is probably something that I feel is, is something most empathized with. I think everyone gets this. We all try and do things on our own strength all the time. You could be a Christian your whole life. And even when it's a God-ordained thing, even when you feel like, oh, this is a desire that God has put on my heart. I'm going for this. It's so easy to just make your own plans, isn't it? To build your own strategy and think, okay, all right, God is going to give this to me, but how am I going to get there? What am I going to do? We cannot rely on our own strength when we want to take and hold ground. As a church, we will fail if we do this. It would be wrong of us to look back on 2022 and say, wow, did you see the shift? Did you see the ground that we took? That's wonderful. We must have some great preachers here. Our worship team, obviously, tip top. So let's just do this again, but you know, like, you know, just grow everything by 10% per year. As if it comes down to us. We do have great preachers. No, stop, please. Uh, <laughs> we do have a great worship team. We do have a great community, but it is not solely down to that that we find our strength. We find our strength because God is with us and we need to remember that as we move forward. And how do we remember that? Well, again, the passage gives us an answer to that question. In verse nine, Rahab doesn't just say, oh, she knows how strong, I know how strong your God is. He's the God of heaven and earth. She says how she knows it. In verse 10, she says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, verse 11, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God in heaven above is, is God of heaven above and on the earth below. In verse 10, she looks at two specific events from the Israelites' journey. Two times where God came through and they were in a situation where they could do nothing but wait for God to come through. The first one, the Exodus 14 story, when they're coming out of Egypt, it's that Prince of, Prince of Egypt moment when, when the seas separate. They were literally facing an ocean. They had nowhere to go, and God had to act. God had to be strong in their weakness. 
And the second one, the, uh, Numbers, where is it? It's Numbers 21, and it talks about a time where the Israelites had to pass through some foreign land in order to get to where they were going, and, and the king said no, and they sent armies to kill the Israelites. And they were outweighed, but somehow they won. Two moments, an ecological one and a man-made one, where God came through, and it's echoed throughout the land. The Canaanites are aware of it. They're aware that it's not down to the Israelites' strength. What you're seeing here in verse 10, Rahab is exercising the power of testimony. The power of remembering the specific times where God came through for you. Do you hold tight to your testimonies? That's another question we can take from this passage. Are you remembering them regularly? It's such a simple thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, remember, remember that God has proved himself before. And yet, why do so many people, myself included, fail on it? Time after time. We face a difficult season and we think, oh no, this might be it. <laughs> this might, gosh, this could be it. Are you real, God? Because it doesn't feel like you're real right now. When three years ago he proved he was real, so why wouldn't he prove he was real now? The power of holding tight to testimonies. It's really important. Rahab isn't even remembering her own testimonies. They, are the, they aren't the testimonies of her people. At this point, the Red Sea one specifically, they're not even the testimonies of the current Israelite generation that's waiting outside this city. They're from a previous generation. This is the, the parents' and grandparents' testimonies. I once had a friend who went to Oxford or Cambridge, one of those very astute locations uh, to study, and I remember speaking to them, and there it was like they had no limitations on what they could do. When they thought about something, they thought big. They were so aspirational. And I remember being so shocked by this. I asked them, I said, well, like, how, why do you, like, what qualifies you to think this way? Whereas I, I'm so timid about it. Like I'm like, oh, maybe I could, well, I'll probably, you know, like half the measure by like one and then see if I can get there and then we'll see. And they said, but, well, I've gone to a place, I've studied at a place where some of the greatest people throughout history have studied, some of the best in their field, and they've done amazing things. I've walked their hallways, I've slept in their dorms, I've gone to the same classrooms. So if all of them went there and did those things, why can't I? And he said, the, the fact that I'm part of the institution shows that I can think big. And I remember years ago hearing that, and the first thing I thought of was like, hang on a minute. If we're talking about institutions, <laughs> I'm part of an institution that, that entitles me to think big. My God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God is the God of Israel. So when Rahab's talking about, about splitting the seas, I'm so, isn't it so wonderful that Christina and the team sang that song today? I thought of it as I was putting the final touches on us last night. I thought, oh, it's too late to text them at 11.30. I can't ask them to do that. The Lord is with us today. I'm so glad that we did that song. Because when you sing that, that, that bridge, I'm not a musical person. I really hope it's a bridge. Is it a bridge? Yes. Yeah, nailed it. I got the thumbs up. When you sing that bridge, it feels, doesn't it, like there's such, such an empowering thing, empowering thing because, because the pronoun is you did it for me. You split the oceans so we could walk right through them. And, it, and it's like, oh, yeah. We're not dealing with a different people here. We're dealing with our people. Yeah. This is the power of testimony. 
So my challenge to all of you as we think about holding and taking new ground, how are you remembering your testimonies? How are you remembering the goodness of God in your lives? Are you just relying on your memory to do it? Fine if so, but how has that proved as a method in the past? Is there something better you can do? I have a lot of respect for people who journal. I can't do it. I can't seem to find the time. I don't, I don't enjoy it. But it was, it was upon arriving at this point that I thought I should journal. I should journal. Because at least then, I can have the pages to turn to in black and white. So when I feel like God's not with me, I'm reminded he is always with me. He's always proved that he is for me. And he is a powerful God. Amen? Amen. This is where community comes in really, really great. A midweek group at church. I will wave the flag for these for all of my life. The logic is just there. There is less people so you can have better relationships because there's more time to build them. You are in a community for a certain amount of time. They'll see you through the highs and the lows. And when you're in the low, they will remind you of the high. And they will be your memory of your testimony. It's fantastic. That's what we should strive for as a church in all of our relationships, but it's embedded into the format of a midweek group. Whatever you need to do, think outside the box. If you have a noteboard at home, if you have a whiteboard at home, carve out a square so you can bullet point the testimonies of God so you can walk past them every single day when you start your day and the enemy lies to you and says that you can't achieve this and you're not entitled to that and you can't ask for this. If your God is with you, whom then shall you fear? Hold on tight to your testimonies. We need to do this as a church. What are we taking forward from 2022? This shift where we took ground. What do we, what do we need to take forward to remember? for 2023 because when I think about where we've come over the last two years it's only then when I when I think of the testimonies of God's goodness over Chatham I think whoa Chatham better watch out (laughs) because God is doing something here he's just doing it's so clear he's doing something here and so suddenly my thinking is like oh maybe we should get a bigger venue suddenly it's like no let's aim for the whole town let's go for the whole place Because God is on the move and he's proved it and he's for us. Hold on tight to your testimony. Start from a place of humility. And the last point, and it is the last point that I'm going to mention today, but there's so much more here. So read the chapter at home with with your families, with, with your friends, on your own. Pray about it, chew on it, meditate, because there's so much here. But the last point I want to mention, when we move forward into action, when we talk about taking and holding ground, Be ready to roll with the punches. It is not going to look like how you think it will look. The path very rarely looks the way we want it to. God has his own plan. This is a story of the Israelites failing, but it is a story of success coming out of it. But I don't say this, and I often think people do say this, to to bring down our expectations of God. It's not like, oh, don't get too excited though, because it's going to be tough and, you know, like, like it'll be difficult times. So yes, we get, we're aiming for success and yes, you know, victory is ours, but, but, you know, just calm down. I'm not saying this to calm us down. I'm saying the complete opposite. I'm saying us get excited because God is bigger than the box we put him in and the journey he will take us on may not look how we want it to. It's better. You see, it's really easy to look at the Israelites here and think, oh gosh, when those spies 
found out very quickly, Jericho had realized that they were in town and they were hiding in a prostitute's house and they're thinking, what are we going to go back to Israel? How are we going to get out of here? It'd be really easy to think they were so down in the dumps, they would be doubting God's promise. After having Joshua empowered them and renewed that for the whole of Israelites, they'd be thinking, where is God? But if this story didn't happen the way it did, I mean, play it out, right? If, they, if it happened the way they wanted it to, what, when they went back with the plans of the, the city and, and the numbers of troops and that sort of stuff, and who's, whose strength are they going to rely on? Are they going to rely on God's or are they going to rely on their own? The way this story went meant that the whole of Israel, Israel had an enriched faith in God, but also a family was saved. Rahab saved her whole family. Again, it's really easy because we think these rights are God's people, so you just look at it through their, their lens. What's the point of view of Rahab here? She's just saved her whole family. You see, why this is, while this is a story and just one chapter of Israel's wider story, one chapter of Joshua, this is a, a well-rounded, complete story in itself of a woman who put her faith in God and saved her family. Isn't that an amazing testimony? If it went the Israelites' way, that wouldn't have happened. And we know she was saved because after Joshua, the next time we see Rahab's name is in the first book of Matthew, where we, where we look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, where Matthew says, we're starting a New Testament, but just so you know, Jesus comes from the Old Testament. He's littered, his line, his, his, his heritage is all the way through there, and Rahab's name is there. Because Rahab has a son called Boaz who marries a woman called Ruth who is the grandmother of a king called David. And it's from that line that Jesus is born. If it didn't happen this way, the whole genealogy of Jesus Christ would have been affected. So they thought they failed. But God had a bigger plan. Absolutely, we should make plans and get excited about the next season, about 2023, about where we're going, where you're going in your lives, where we're going as a church. We should. But be prepared to pause and stop and look for the prompts of what God wants to do on the way. And I say this as a serious warning, because sometimes I, I, feel, I know I've done this myself, and I know plenty of other Christians and churches that have done this, and they'll confess it. They feel like because their goal is so righteous, it entitles them to feel so safe to just go at it and become narrow-minded that they forget. They forget what's going on around them. And I, we all, I think, I'm not going to say we all, a lot of us, I think, have this testimony where we become so focused on one thing, we damage something else that we never intended to damage. It's like, I want to take and hold ground here, and you don't realise that by doing that, by focusing too much, you've regressed somewhere over here. We can't do that as a church. We can't do that as a church. We can't focus so much on growing that we forget to feed the, the loyal congregation that we have. That is regression right there. That's not taking ground, that's losing ground. Individually, you can't focus so much on church that you regress in other areas of your spiritual life. I, I, mean, I mean, Adam and the leadership team will tell you this themselves. Church is a great way to lose the rest of your week. 
Life is busy. We have work, we have family. There are only a certain amount of hours in the day. And it's really easy to go to the prayer meeting on Thursday. And then, oh, we've got the worship team thing on Tuesday. And then, oh, there's this chat and specific prayer meeting on Monday. Um, I'm making dates up, by the way. I don't think it's actually on Monday. Um, it's so easy to get sucked in to being part of this great community where God is on the move. When are you going to find the time to invite someone to church? When are you going to find the time to go and have a drink with someone who doesn't know God and needs to see a testimony of God's goodness? I was speaking to someone yesterday who's part of a church plant that hasn't really grown in the last couple of years. And, and to a certain extent, we can't just measure growth on numbers. But they're a small community, and that was certainly part of their goal. And we were talking about it, and one of the things they said, they said, I think part of the problem is no one really invites anyone to the church. <laughs> we're all so busy trying to make church happen. Everyone kind of doesn't have the time to invite someone along. And so it ends up just being meetings for the sake of meetings. Meetings that, where God is moving, where great things are happening, where blessings are going on. But meetings where the, the, the outcome is a lot di- very different to how we started out. Let's be humble. Let's remember God's testimonies, but let's be prepared to roll with God's plan because it is better than our own. The really interesting thing about chapter two of Rahab is that the book of Joshua doesn't need it. I did this myself. You can read chapter one and you can read chapter three and the story is not affected at all. The Israelite story doesn't change. Yes, it's an event, but not every event of every day of their lives is marked in the Bible. So this one was put in here, and yet it doesn't affect the story. And you have to wonder, maybe, maybe, it's because God wants you to know that, and I think there's something poetic about it being the first thing that Joshua did in his new space of leadership. The first action he tried to make, it failed. Right from the off, God wants you to know that you need to prioritise him. You need to prioritise humility. You need to focus on testimony. You need to pause and reflect when you want to run, to remember his strength and not, not focus on your own. And you need to remember that he is better than you. He has a plan that is far better than your plan. And his plan is going to involve you saving others rather than just getting the success and victory that you're chasing. And isn't that wonderful? It is an unlikely chapter to include, but then, in a, in a way, that's how God works. He works in the unlikely. It was a prostitute that saved Israel. That's unlikely. That's unlikely. We wanted a king. He sent us a carpenter. That's unlikely. We wanted to spread the gospel in Asia. He used the very person who was persecuting Christians at the time to do it. That's unlikely. And it tells us that when we feel like we want to take and hold new ground and it's not going the way it should look, it's not looking likely, maybe we just can't lose faith because that's in the moment where God's going to move the most, in the unlikely moment. He's going to use the unlikely people. That's a fundamental point of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus died for everyone, no matter who they are and what they did. They can join in and be the likely person that God will use. And I'm so thankful for that. Every day I'm so thankful for that because that's who I am. 
most of the time. I have a plan and it always drops off and God uses it me anyway. And so, as we look forward to 2023, as we think about taking and holding new ground, let's start with focusing on God. Let's remind ourselves, do what we need to do to remind ourselves that it is in our weakness his strength is made perfect. Amen?